Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, as we continue through the Word of God together. And if you forgot your Bible, you can raise your hand and Matt's in the back and he, he will get you one. Or if you need one downstairs, um, we, there's some Bibles available as well. But we're studying verse by verse through the Word of God. And if you've come this morning and you haven't been with us, you just happen, this is just where we are. That's why we're teaching out of Genesis chapter 8 this morning. And we're looking at the life of Jacob. You know, one pastor said it this way, that Jacob is so relatable to us. Because he's a man of great failure, of man who, who has great inner turmoil and struggle and family difficulties. And yet, somebody that the Lord just graciously chooses to come and to use. And so we're looking at, at the life of Jacob. And today, if you've read ahead or if you've ever studied this, you know that we're going to look at a dream that Jacob has. And I don't know about you, but dreams sometimes can be good things. Or, or bad things. Last night, um, I don't know what time it was, but I kept having this bad dream. I kept having this dream that I'd be up here and I either forgot my iPad or my computer and I didn't have any notes with me. And like, it's this, like, I'm like struggling. What in the world do I do? Can I print something? And it was just never able to be resolved. So I just, it was this thing that just happened and happened over and over again in my head. Um, but thankfully it was just a dream. Sometimes we have that, don't we? But at the same time, there's, there's dreams in our life that, man, if this could only be real, if this could only be attainable for me, you know, we, we dream big, and I think it's, it's pretty neat that the Lord's given us that capability to, to, to dream, to aspire. He, he gives us uh, dreams, right? Sometimes He speaks to us through dreams. They can be both troubling or comforting. But today, we're going to look at Jacob's dream that he has. And, and for us, too, we're going to look at this is Jacob's dream simply a dream or can it be a reality? Not only can it be, and was it a reality for Jacob, but what about for you and I? This same dream, this, this, this man who experiences God, is this possible for us? And as we just, again, it's neat, it's important to know the context here. As we enter here, uh, chapter 28 of Genesis, we see a family that's in turmoil. See, if you haven't been studying or if you've forgotten, just as a way of reminder, Jacob has an older brother, a twin older brother, whose name is Esau. And, and even as Esau and Jacob, as they were being born, um, remember that Jacob was holding on to his brother's heel as, it, as Esau was uh, being born because he wanted to try to pull him back. He wanted to be the first. And all throughout Jacob's life, we're going to see this pattern that Jacob's one who is a deceiver, one who's always trying to trip somebody else up, we could say, catch their heel. Trying to get ahead, trying to manipulate the situation. And we just left in chapter 27 last week, looking how Jacob deceived his dad for the blessing. And if you remember there, in, in this, uh, Esau, the older, the favorite brother, the favorite son of his father, goes out to catch, um, excuse me, to kill some, some, um, a meal, some meat and to cook his dad's favorite meal, bring it back to him. And his dad said that I will bless you. And, 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 uh, Jacob and Esau's mother overheard this. And she said, I know that the Lord said that Jacob is the one who the promise is made to. 
And she begins to tell Jacob, well, you just go in. I'll, I'll make you, I'll, I'll prepare the meal. And remember he put on um, the skin on, on himself. Remember that? And remember he, he went in and we see this low point even, even when his father says, you sound like Jacob, but how can you be Esau? And he lies straight to his father's face. Stealing the blessing. And then he goes out after his father had blessed him. And Esau comes back to receive the blessing. And, he, and his father says, I can't bless you. I've already bestowed the blessing on another. And we learn there that it was Jacob's deception. And so from that, forth, that point forth, Esau, it says, wanted to kill his brother Jacob. And you know, again, remember the setting and the context. Who does Jacob become? The Lord has changes his name to Israel through the 12 tribes of Israel were to come. This is God's chosen family. Yet we see it's a family that is distorted, a family that's riddled with sin and division and deception. And yet God wants to step in the midst of this family and use them. And that, that's encouraging for me because that gives us hope even for today. And the Bible is real too. It doesn't shy back from the failures and from the weaknesses of those who are in it. Because today, see, even in this room, we are ones who are filled, who are filled with failure and weaknesses. Some of us, even in our hearts, try to deceive, try, try, try to manipulate the situation. Some of us, Maybe even today you're in a place where your family or your friends or there's a situation where there's deep division and there's deep hurt and hatred in the midst of those who are close. And yet God is willing to enter into our lives in the midst of failure that we might experience the reality of who He is. Is that really possible? Or is that just a dream? And we're going to see today... Um, that the Lord says that it is a reality for you and I. So let's jump in the chapter here, starting in chapter 28, verse 1. It says, Then Isaac called Jacob, and he blessed him. And he charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of the peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. In verse 5, so Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Bedan Aram, and to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So remember, the, again, the greater context, taking a step back, what's going on here. God had called Abraham previously. And he had called Abraham, he chose Abraham to leave everything, to leave his family, to leave his possessions, to leave his um, tents, and to go to a land in which God would show him. And that Abraham did that. And God gave Abraham this promise that he would have a son, that he would have land, a possession. And it was through his family that the Messiah, the Savior, would come. And Abraham's promised son was Isaac, we know that, the father of Jacob and Esau. 
these twin brothers that we're looking at. Now we see here, if you go back to the um, end of chapter 27, that Rebecca heard that Esau wanted to kill his brother Jacob. And she said, I can't, I can't have that happen. And so she, again, manipulating, distorting the situation, says to her husband Jacob, excuse me, says to her husband, um, to go and, and to send Jacob away, to send him back to her brother in a faraway land and there to get a bride. So she's looking for some reason to get him away that he might be safe. And this place that Jacob is to go, if you look on a map, it would be about 700 miles, a 700 mile journey to get this wife from her family. Laban, if you don't know, is Jacob's uncle. See, he, they don't want Jacob to have a wife of the Canaanites. That's the people who already inhabited the land, the people who were dwelling there. And this isn't a racist thing that God says you can't have. You don't, I don't want you to take a wife from the Canaanites. But they were people who were corrupt and not following the Lord. And that's why. Their hearts, his heart would be drawn away to serve other gods. And so Jacob affirms the blessing we see here that um, he had already given. Excuse me. Uh, the blessing is affirmed from Isaac to Jacob again. And Jacob is sent away. Jacob is sent away. Kind of, This is almost like a movie scene, isn't it? You know, this great, this prominent family who has such potential, who, who's going to be used mightily, and yet there's this, this seed, this, this problem in the midst, in the very depth of it. And now what is meant to be a union, what is meant to be a source of strength, a source that God's, God's promise is coming through, is sent away. Division happens. Then in verse 6, we see here, the camera turns to Esau, and it says in verse 6, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone away to Padan Aram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajah, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. So notice here, Esau's, I, I can imagine, like maybe he's standing uh, on the other side of the tent, or or he's he's there, kind of in the midst. He's not. I, I don't think he would be the right there in the middle of all this happening because he hates his brother, but he overhears all of this. My parents, they don't want Jacob to take a wife of of, of the people of the land, and so I think Esau's heart here, seeing again that Jacob had blessed him and told him not to take a Canaanite. Canaanite wife, he decided to do the same thing. He said, okay, I'm going to take for myself another wife. Notice, did you see in the text in verse um, 9 that it said that he, in addition to the wives that he had. We know that that's the Bible. And again, you need to know this is the Bible. This is um, a historical account as well. 
So the Bible is not saying, is not promoting polygamy. It's not saying that this is right, polygamy, but it's saying simply what these men were doing, okay? So you need to know that. And if you're married here, you know that one wife is enough. There's enough, uh, needless to say, trouble and blessing that comes from just one. And so, so he has, he has multiple wives, but Esau seeing this, he wanted to please his father, and his goal in this is to somehow obtain this blessing for himself. Man, if I do this, if I do this thing, if I take a wife, another wife to myself who's not of a Canaanite people, maybe I can again be blessed. I can, I can obtain this blessing again that I had just lost, that seems to be out of reach, out of grasp, out of my reality. And it's important to know, too, the whole context. Because remember that Esau previously wanted nothing to do with the spiritual blessing. When he had the opportunity, Esau wanted nothing to do with it. And now he sees that the time had passed, that the time had gone, and now he realizes that he he was a fool. And he tries to obtain it his own way. He sold his birthright previously to Jacob for a bowl of soup. He would rather have the flesh than than the spiritual blessing. He wanted to satisfy his hunger, his desire here than now. And that's what the Bible refers to as the flesh. Uninterested in spiritual reality. And guys, you know that today, we never know when that time is going to pass. Today even, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today might be that opportunity where you can... Choose to say yes to the Lord, the spiritual reality. Experience the spiritual blessing that's available to us in Jesus Christ. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. And there's going to be a day where it's too late for us. Where it's for, too late for you and I. But the opportunity is in front of you today. Jacob goes to his mother's brother. We see his name is Ishmael, right? Excuse me. Esau goes to Ishmael, his father's brother, to obtain a wife, but yet the spiritual blessing is still out of reach. Here the word is simply summarizing for us what happened. And the word wants us to see the difference between these two men. See, notice both of these men have flaws. Both of these men are imperfect. Both of these men have deep-seated roots of wickedness even in their hearts because both of these men, as the Bible say, are born in sin and are sinners. And yet we see this comparison. There's a man who is willing to go and still pursue the Lord in obedience, to go after the spiritual things of life as the Lord lays out. And yet there's this man who continues to choose and to say no and to pursue the flesh. And I think this contrast, as I just laid out, is here for a reason. Where are we? The Bible doesn't ask us to be perfect. None of us can or are. But what are we pursuing? Are we pursuing the Lord or are we pursuing the flesh? It's a warning for us today. And so as as this family now kind of, it begins to pan out the, the camera view of this movie, of this setting, we see Jacob begins to depart. Remember, he's going back to where Abraham, his grandfather, had come. And remember how long the journey was that's in front of him? 700 miles. Can you imagine how long that would be? I don't even know where that is in the United States, 700 miles away. Somewhere far. 
And I know that it would take a while to drive there, but can you take, can you imagine how long it would take to either walk or, or perhaps ride on a camel or a donkey there? It was going to be a long journey. And, and this is, you know, interesting as, as Jacob departs from his family, this is going to be the last time that he ever sees his mom even. His mom who, who for him was the source of affirmation and, and his mom, right? For, for him, his dad loved, wrongfully so, favored Esau. So he kind of lived in the shadow of Esau. And, and yet he leaves his mom, he leaves his family. He will come back, but he would never see his mom again. And so in this next section, it's important to, as we read through the text, put yourself in the setting. Put yourself in Jacob's shoes. Imagine leaving those who you love. Imagine leaving a brother because of the situation, the deception that you just did, who wants to kill you. Imagine that you have this long 700-mile journey ahead of you. Can't even listen to Caleb as you're going. What would that be like? What's playing over in your head, right? That's the setting. So we pick it up in verse 10. So we see now, Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went towards Haran and he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at the head, at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. So I think the, the, the writer here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is giving us this vivid picture of what, what the reality is for Jacob. Leaving his family, leaving a brother, and if you have a brother, um, who, who wanted, you can imagine what those fights are like, right? Sometimes they get nasty, there's, there's some punches thrown, there's a little bit of blood, but this brother who wants to kill him, He's the reason of this division in his family. He's leaving his, his parents. And it says, it says that now Jacob went out. As a result of his deception, of his lying, he had to be sent away or else he died. Have you ever walked away in a situation in your own life thinking about how poorly that went? Man, I, I, I was such an idiot for saying that. You know, of course, there's the times where people take things wrong, but there's times where I'm wrong, where I acted foolish. And we walk out of there feeling the hurt, feeling the weight of what we just did. And I can't help but think Jacob is feeling this now. And he had a long time to think, 700 miles, 700 miles to think about this. And notice here that, that the Bible points out that as he went out in verse 11, it says that it was nighttime. As the, as, as the camera kind of zooms back in on Jacob, it's nighttime. And did you see too that the sun had set? And it gives us even a picture, I think, of what's going on in Jacob's heart. What is he feeling? And night is not a place of warmth, but often of, it, well, not often of darkness, it is dark. But, but, but that idea of, of cold, you can't see anymore. Night is even a place of vulnerability. You can't see what's coming. Night, you know, I, I wonder too, even as the sun was, was setting, is that even a picture, you know, in Jacob's heart? Does he feel like, okay, 
I realize that as I've done, I'm leaving this, all, all hope is lost. This is the reality for Jacob. What's going on within him? Failure, coldness, no hope. And, and this, no doubt, is one of the low points in Jacob's life. And notice, too, in verse 11, it says that he came to a certain place. He came to a certain place. This place, for him, had no significance. It's just a place he's going out. He knows that he's going to his uncle Laban's, 700 miles away. On the journey as he's going, he comes to nowhere. and I, I can't go anymore. I can't see. He didn't have the Energizer bunny for his headlamp, right? So he had to stop his journey and just be. We might say even here, as Jacob took a rock for a pillow to sleep on, he was in a hard place of his life. But notice here, it's this time in Jacob's life. It's at this moment where we read in verse 12, he says, the Bible says, then Jacob, he dreamed. And behold, a ladder, or a better translation would be a stairway, was set up upon, excuse me, set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending upon this ladder. Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, verse 15, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done all that I have spoken to you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. It almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? It seems too good in the midst of one of the low points of Jacob's life that there he has this dream. He has this, this time where, you know, is it really a dream? Can, how, why? Did I have, you know, too much pepperoni on my pizza the, the night before? That God appears to him and he has this experience with God. Notice again in verse 12, it says that as he dreamed, he gives us a little bit more details about this dream. It says that there was a ladder. And I, like I mentioned, a better translation would be a stairway. And this stairway, what did it do? It went, it connected heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, as you walk up the stairs to the sanctuary, even in the church, it's a way for you to get from down below to up here. It's, 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 a, it's a pathway, it's, it's a way of access. And so we see that on this stairway, that there were angels going back and forth from heaven and to earth, back and forth. And so, you know, it must have been pretty wide for these angels to, to be going up and down and angels, we know, in the Bible, are, are a picture of God's kingdom and God's power. Jacob, in the midst of this low point, in the dark of the night, 
as he's laying on a, on a rock, is seeing this dream that the Lord had given him of God's messengers, as, as, as we read in the Bible in Hebrews, remember they're his ministering, um, servants. They're, they come to minister. Angels we know proclaim God's message. Angels we know, um, go and they fight for the Lord, right? Angels are accomplishing God's purpose, God's God's mission in the power of God. And so it's a picture, even Jacob would know that, that, man, I'm seeing at this time, still now, God's here. God's still accomplishing his purpose and his will. That even in this certain place of nowhere, of seeming darkness, God's kingdom is present. And notice that it says that the Lord stood above it. And so there's two ways that that some Bible translators say this. Was it God standing above the stairwell, or excuse me, the stairway, the the ladder? Or was it God standing above Jacob? We're not exactly sure. But, But the idea and what we learn from that is God himself appeared to Jacob and he would affirm his promise of blessing to him. reiterating again, we see God affirmed the promise of land, of a possession, of family, and that through Jacob and his offspring that the earth would be blessed. And we know that, of course, like we mentioned before, that that's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But finally, God promised his presence. I will be with you. I will be with you. And in verses 16 and 17, Jacob wakes up. And unlike my dream last night where I was scared because I couldn't find my notes and, and I was uneasy, right? Jacob is afraid not because, not because he couldn't find something or, or, or in a bad way, but more out of awe. He, he was afraid. How can that be? God appearing to me? God, his messengers, his kingdom coming here in this place, this sense of amazement in this certain place. And notice that Jacob says, he says that this is certainly the house of God. See, it was the wonder, it was the amazement that where he was, that God was present. That's what was so amazing to Jacob. That even here, God is with me. God is willing to appear to me. God reveals himself to me. But not only that, but notice he says at the end of verse 17, he says, and this is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. If you have a gate around, around your house, if your, if your yard is gated in, or, or if there is a gate around a park, or maybe your workplace, the purpose of a gate is an access point, isn't it? It's to keep things out or people out that don't belong, to keep things maybe in that do belong, but still it's that gate through which you can enter in. And so even for Jacob, he realizes that this stairway, where I am, what God is showing me as God is revealing himself to me, I'm experiencing God, somehow this is a gate, this is an access point, this is the place where I can experience, I can come into, God has come down to me and I can experience him. Think about this. Up to this point in Jacob's life, he's only heard about the Lord. He's heard about God appearing to Abraham. 
about God calling his grandfather. He's heard about God appearing to Isaac and even how his dad was the promised son, the promised one. He's heard all about this. And, and I have no doubt that um, Jacob believed these things. He believed the promise. He struggled just like we do, but he had never experienced it for himself. He had never experienced the presence and the power of the Lord himself. And yet it's here that God chooses to reveal himself. And see, oftentimes I think, I I know I should say that we're like Jacob, aren't we? You hear about God revealing himself to other people. You hear how, man, maybe it's on TV or maybe it's here in the church. Maybe it's as, you know, we're up here teaching. Man, if only I could experience God like that person. If I knew them like that, things would be different. See, but I'm in the valley. I'm in the dark, cold night. I'm in a hard place. And God seems to be distant. God seems to be the last, this seems to be the last place. God doesn't want to reveal himself or, or I can't experience God like that. That's for others. And I, and I have no doubt that Jacob, that was going through his head. And yet we see that, we might even say that if the Lord revealed himself to me like this, if God gave me a dream, maybe you've never trusted in Christ. You said, I would believe God. I would believe that there was a God. I would believe that, I would believe that if I had this dream. And yet, you know, I think in, in, in all of us, whether we realize it or whether we admit it or not, we desire for this dream to be a reality for us, don't we? We desire, man, to know that there's one beyond ourselves who can step into the midst of our lives, who isn't, who, who's willing to see beyond and love us in, in the midst of our failure and in the midst of, of the situations that we're in, who's willing to step in and to, to reveal himself and, and to be present with us. We experience, we desire to experience a blessing and the security that comes from that. Because deep down inside, we realize that, man, life's a mess. And, and all of our attempts even to fix life, just like Jacob and Rebecca, his mom did, just make things worse. And deep down inside, it's, it's, it's almost like too good to be true. There's this dream. Lord, can I experience you that same way? Can I know you that same way? Are you willing even today, right? I, you know, we're not in uh, kind of a society that's, that's like this anymore. These dreams or, or, or these, they're just so far-fetched realities. Man, everything has to be scientific. Everything has to be proven a, a day, a, an age of computers and, and definites. And yet there's something within us. We all desire to know this. And so that, that, that is the question then for ourselves. How do I experience God? How does this dream become a reality for me? Is there one who really, would God be really, really willing to do this? To step into my life? Does he really want me to know him like this? And can I experience God? Well, the Bible tells us here, the text answers itself. Kind of, we'll work our way backwards now. Remember, we we left off in verse 17. What does Jacob say that this place is? He says that this is the house of God and also the gate of heaven. And remember, we said that the gate, the gate, you know, you don't go to the, you don't go to where the fence 
um, is just solid to have access to go in to, to leave. You go to where the gate is. And so that's what we're going to do to experience God. What is this gate of heaven? We need to know that. In this dream, the stairway reached to heaven and also came down to earth. But what's that access point for us? Well, you can turn back, put a marker here. You see, this is not the first time that the Bible talks about a gate. Go over to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 here, the Bible talks about a tower that was built, another tower, another tower to reach heaven, and that's the Tower of Babel. In verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may come, excuse me, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore the name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So here we again, we see that there was a, a group of men who came together to build. It's always dangerous when you got, when you got a group of guys that, that just come with hammers and, and want to build, right? You never know what you'll get into. And so this is, it's not saying that building is a bad thing, but God had previously given the command that they were, that the people were to scatter that they were to disperse throughout the earth. And yet here in rebellion to God, they say that we're going to come together and we're going to build. And they, we see that they build this tower. And notice this tower goes, uh, obviously, from the ground up. And the goal of the tower was to reach the heavens. Uh, you, might, you might hear this also referred to um, in the news, or if you ever go to uh, the Middle East, it's called a ziggurat, right? You'll see these towers even today. But there's these towers, and they would have steps going up. The, the steps, the stairway, going up to the top, where up at the top of the tower, there would be a, like, kind of almost like a platform thing, where there people would make um, sacrifices in hopes that the gods that they believed in would come and would accept their sacrifice and come from heaven and, and meet them there. As they built their way up, that it would again come down. And we see that God, God came down to this tower, but what did he do? He destroyed it and confused it. And we'll get to that in a second. Because God wasn't pleased with this. This wasn't how God had ordained it to happen. And so how does this connect back to Genesis chapter 8? Well, you see, the word Babel here, which the city is called, actually means gate of heaven. 
So here, there was this city, this group, and they said, I'm going to experience God. I'm going to, to make my way up to God. I am going to build a stairway, and it's through these steps, these ten steps of X, Y, Z, that I can experience God. The ten steps, the, maybe the 1,500 steps, I don't know how many it is. But if it's going up to heaven, it would seem like it's never ending. It's never enough. These steps to get to God. And so this, what this is a picture of is man's attempt to experience or to reach the heaven, to experience or to reach God himself. The attempt to reach God on our own by doing good, by being religious, by reading, by going to church, by whatever it may be. Man's attempt to reach God. And it still is present today, isn't it? Man's attempt to reach God. You know, even when we were talking about this, when we were saying, don't you, you know, each of us in, in our heart of hearts, we desire to experience God like that, to, to know him, to have him come and to speak, to know his promise, to experience his blessing. And I can almost guarantee you that some of us started going, well, what do I have to do to get that? What do I have to do? Subconsciously, it's built in us. What do I have to do to know God? And that's what this is, the Tower of Babel. And thank God that he came down and he confused their language and he would destroy it. Now, this is put in contrast to another place where we, where we see a tower mentioned or this stairway mentioned. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So you've got to flip all the way over to the New Testament. In John chapter 1, we see there's man's, man's way to experience God, man's way to, to know him, to reach him. And yet, in the midst of all of this, we see the gospel mentioned. Jesus refers to the stairway or what we often call Jacob's ladder himself. In John chapter 1, uh, turn with me, starting in verse 47 here. John chapter 1, verse 47. Jesus um, is there with his disciples, and he, he, um, there's these two men, Philip and Nathaniel, and, and Philip's going to Nathaniel, and he says, I found him. I found the Messiah, the promised one. Come and see him. And notice, pick it up in verse um, 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him, and said of him, speaking of Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So it was something I don't know what Nathaniel was doing under that tree. You know, maybe he was like watching uh, Penn State or, or uh, uh, WVU or something like that. And, and he, I can't believe that he caught me doing that. I don't know. Whatever it was, he was amazed that Jesus knew what he was doing. And so he said, this is um, Christ's response in verse 50. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending 
upon the Son of Man. Here's the key. See, Jesus is telling us clearly here that He is the stairway. That Jesus is the stairway. That it's through Jesus that we experience the message of God, the power of God, the will of God, the protection of God, the presence of God. We experience the Lord Himself through Christ. Referring exactly to what we're studying in Genesis chapter 8. So think about this. Think about this now that we know, and and the Bible is interpreting the Bible. That's the cool thing. We're not just making this up. But the Bible is telling us clearly that it's, it's Jesus through which we experience God. Now, now put, go back to Jacob's situation. Put yourself back in Jacob's shoes and it makes a lot more sense. As we look at the gospel according to Jacob, see, notice again, thinking back at Jacob, we see that God reveals himself when Jacob least deserved it. See, it wasn't in Jacob's, the, when Jacob was at his best, when Jacob just solved all of his family situation, when Jacob firmly believed in God's promise and didn't make a mess of his family and of his life that, that the Lord appeared to him, but it's when Jacob was in the dark, when he was sent away, when he was in a no-name place, right? Not a place of prominence, not a place of, for, it meant anything for him, the everyday. It was there that the Lord chose to reveal himself. See, and it can be difficult for us because Jacob experienced God when he would least expect it. And yet we think that even when we least deserve or that when we least um, would expect to experience God, that he would reveal himself to us. We think that it's when, when I've been so good. Or we think because I, I've gone to church ten times or whatever it may be. We think that that is when the Lord will reveal himself. Yet God wants, because he's gracious, to step in and reveal himself. Just like Jacob said in verse 16 of chapter 28, he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. See, experiencing God was the last thing that Jacob expected. And even for us, God wants to meet with you and for you to meet with him in the normalcy of life. He's the God of not only the mountains, but the God of the valleys. And this doesn't excuse the graces by which we can experience God, which is going to church, which is reading his word, which is prayer, and which is worship. God does, and he wants us to exercise those opportunities to put ourselves where we can experience him. But yet in the midst, it's not the strength of those that guarantees God's presence. It's God's grace that guarantees his presence. And see, that now makes it available to each and every one of us. That, that takes from what was a dream. And, you know, I even think about the, the NFL scout, uh, combine is, is happening now. And all these, all these men who have dreamed and, and you hear their interviews, I've worked so hard for this. And, and I've, 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 you know, from when I was in high school, I would get up early and work out. And, and there's this dream of being in the NFL one day. And yet it's their, it's their hard work, their determination, which, which is going to get them there. And yet it's the grace of our Lord that reveals himself to us, that allows us to experience him. And I like, I like this. And are you in that place today? Maybe even you feel like you're in a cold place. Maybe you're in a place of failure. 
Maybe your life's a wreck. I don't know. And you've never given your life to Christ. Today, the Lord wants to meet with you. The Lord wants you to meet with Him. And He wants to reveal Himself to you. Maybe there's just some trouble in your life. You know, maybe, maybe you've gotten caught up in sin and your life is a mess. God wants to meet with you. And He wants to walk with you through the midst of this. And He will. And His grace... What we don't deserve, that's what grace means. It's through His grace that He steps in the midst of our failure and sin that He might bring us out of it and save us from sin. But not only that, but look at this. I love this, that it's Jacob didn't go seeking God, but God sought Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Jacob didn't leave. He didn't uh, depart on this journey saying, I'm going to go and I'm on this mission to find God. Maybe that was in his heart. I don't know. We don't have the full of it. But it wasn't Jacob's determination or, or, or his will to say, I will find God. But yet God found Jacob. And that's even what the Holy Spirit does, right? The Holy Spirit, even before we even sought God, he first sought us to draw us to him. To desire Him. He, he came alongside of us and helped us to see our sin and our need, our, to see the failure that we're in. And yet as we responded to His drawing, drawing, that's when He revealed Himself to us. Jacob, I love this, he was sleeping. He was napping. And even this, after Adam and Eve sinned, sinned they, they hid from God and it was God who sought them, wasn't it? Remember in Genesis chapter 3, God appears to them in the cool of the day and he says, where are you? That they might realize where they are. And maybe this morning you came out of routine because it's what you do. You're a Christian. And yet you haven't been walking with the Lord. You've been walking in sin. You've been walking in rebellion. I don't know what it is. But God is seeking you this morning to come and to come back into a relationship with him to come and, and to walk in obedience like we even saying to trust and obey Him. Maybe you've come this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord and, and to you this all seems like a far-fetched other world dream. Yet God is desiring you. God desires to save you from your sin. I love this. Past failure doesn't keep us from God seeking us, yet He still gives us opportunities and I love what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. There Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And all of us are lost. God is seeking you this morning. Will you respond to Him? But what does this look like practically? Okay, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Right? Because I can, I can agree with these things. I can want these things. I can desire this. But what does this look like in our life? See, this is telling us first and foremost, like we mentioned before, that we need to stop trying to strive or to stop trying to do the proper steps to experience God. Stop your own striving. And even for, you know, if you're a strong Christian, you've walked with the Lord for a long time, um, this can be something subtle that, that happens in our heart, where, where we just, our heart goes back under um, a form of the law, thinking that, that because of the strength of my devotion life, or the strength of my prayer life, the strength of my obedience, or the strength of my attendance, guarantees God's presence or experience. 
but we need to reorient our, heart, our hearts and remind ourselves that we don't deserve it. And it's not because of our obedience, but it's because of His grace. Again, not excusing the graces of being in His Word or prayer or worship or church attendance. But we see that even this, the gospel tells us that Christ descended and became a man. That as Christ, he left heaven, came to earth, that we might experience him. It's in Jesus we see the fullness of the Father revealed. And it was Jesus who took our failure and sin upon himself and has given you and I the righteousness or all that is acceptable about Jesus. He's given that to you. That the divide that was heaven and earth would now be bridged in Christ. That's the gospel. See, it's interesting. We're going to read here at the end of the chapter that this town where Jacob was, he says it's a certain place, but it's actually the town of Luz. And that means nothing to you, does it? It means nothing. But Luz actually means um, divided or separation. Isn't it interesting? Jacob he, he, he stops in a certain place, not even realizing that it was the place of separation, the place of division. And that's where God revealed himself. That's where he experienced the Lord. And, and I love that too. And see, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, uh, we read there, it says that God, who at various times and in various ways, we can even say, like we're reading in chapter 28, in dreams, various ways, He spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets and has in these last days, listen to this, spoken to us by his son. How do you experience God? How do you know his presence? How do you hear from God? It's in Jesus Christ. It's in his son. He speaks to you. It's in Jesus that God reveals his character and his nature and his heart. And it's when Christ ascended to heaven that there it says, um, that he gave us the Holy Spirit. And in John fourteen twenty six, we read that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things concerning the truth of his word. Where we can experience and where, where we can know God like this. But not only that, but part of that experience, when, when you come away of being with somebody, you, you know the warmth of their presence, don't you? You know the warmth of them being with you. And so... One of the troubles of, of, of this practically is still, I, I don't feel like God is with me. Man, I read his word. I can learn um, what the gospel is. I can learn the character and the nature of, of um, God the Father. I can, I can know this. I, I, you know, I see that he wants to reveal, but I don't feel it. Well, do you know that Romans 5.5 5 says this? It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so we see there that even God wants to have wants, wants us to experience the depth of his love that he has for us as, as we enjoy the, his Holy Spirit who lives within your heart and it's through his Holy Spirit that he sheds his love abroad within you. The warmth of his presence the comfort of his love, the comfort of, of, again, knowing a love that isn't dependent on on how good you are, a love that was God first moving towards you and I, a love that sought you and I first 
when we didn't even seek after God. And so what seems to be experiencing God, a distant dream, never to be reached, never to be a reality, maybe it's for some we might have walked in here even thinking today in our heart of hearts, we see it is available to you and I in Jesus Christ. It's not something distant. It's not something far-fetched. But it's for us today. But look at this um, as we finish out chapter 28, uh, picking it back up in verse um, 18. Notice Jacob's response. He says in verse 18, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which we know is, uh, can, is translated house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously, like we already talked about, the, the place of division or di- divided separation. Verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I may come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So notice here Jacob's response. And this is, we can connect this directly to our response of experiencing God. Of experiencing the salvation available to us in Christ Jesus. Of experience his love being poured out on us. What did Jacob do? He says, we might even summarize it this way, that he worshipped God. Now, he, he didn't get the worship, call up the worship band and, and say, you know, it's the, two, it's the key of E and we're going to play XYZ song and cue up the lyrics. But he worshipped God just where he was. He, we see that he put up, a, a, he took the stone and he set it up as a pillar of remembrance. A place where he would, he would come and even as he would pass by through. This is, I'm going to journal this. I'm going to write, remember how, how God has done this. He's revealed himself to me. Because it might not be that same every day, right? And we need those stones of remembrance, those times of, of remembering what God has shown us and holding back and going back to that. Not only that, but he poured out oil on the stone. And for Jacob, what's he traveling with? He didn't pack up a U-Haul. He doesn't have a moving truck with all of his possessions, maybe just what he could carry. So for him to be willing even to take oil and pour a little bit of oil out would be costly for him. And, and so we, that's what worship is, giving out in response of, of who the Lord is. And there was a change. Jacob changed that, that place. Although, notice, God, God didn't deliver Jacob from his situation, did he? He didn't say, Jacob, now, now that there's going to be smooth sailing in your life. He didn't say, Jacob, now I'm going to restore your relationship with your brother like that. He didn't say, Jacob, there's no more problems that you're going to have. But Jacob changes the name of the place. And you know what's interesting? It's from this moment forward that Jacob, the Lord begins to change Jacob himself. And it's not in an instant, but it would be through years of, of labor and experiencing his uncle Laban, you know, one who I think Jacob met, met his match there. And it's Jacob as he would come back and even wrestle with the angel of the Lord. 
where he's finally touched in his hip and he walks forever now with a limp. But it's from this day forward, as, as he experienced God, everything didn't get easier per se, but he knew the Lord and God began to work and to change in his life. And see, notice this. There's two ways to read the, this last section here. You can read it as, as this. You can say, and you might even say in your heart, well, yeah, I want to experience God and I want to know God if God will bless me, if God will be with me, if he will give me bread to eat and cl- give me clothes, give me what I need, if he's going to give me all that I desire and he's going to do what I want, if that's the case, I, I will follow God. I, I want to experience God. See, but that's still a false understanding of who the Lord is, isn't it? If we're still saying that, if I want to experience God, if he will do this, he, we're not really saying that we want to experience God or that we want to follow God. We're saying that I want to make a God who will do what I want. We're making an idol still. We're understanding it wrong. Um. And some may even say today that they refuse to follow God unless he does what they want. One pastor said this, If you have a God of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction with, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or um, husbands and wives, you can say a real marriage. How come no one said amen to that? Real struggle and strife? Come on. I'll say amen to that. You will know that you have gotten a whole... Excuse me. Let me let me go back. If your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, you will know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. Not a God of your dreams, per se. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of personal relationship with God, but it's the precondition for it. Do you see this? See, the Bible isn't saying that we follow a God who serves all of our demands and does everything that we want. But how this should be translated and this can be translated is since. Do you see the difference? Jacob, you can even say, since God will keep his promise that he's given to me. Since God will bless me. Since God will give me all that I need. Since God will do this. In in the essence, the the shift in the heart is, I believe that God will do what he said in his word. It doesn't mean that it's going to come forth how I want it. And I'm I'm not demanding it in my time or in my way. But since I have a gracious God who has revealed himself and lovingly stepped into my brokenness and my life and let me experience the warmth of his presence and of his promise, since that's the God who, who has shown himself to me, I will follow him. And it's an act of obedient worship. Do you see the difference in there? And we need to be careful. What kind of God? Are we setting up an idol saying if? Or are we saying since? And see, again, think about Jacob's life. Because I think in, in America, we, we get Christianity wrong. We say that God... I demand that God do this. I demand that my family never get sick. I I demand that there's never division or brokenness or hardship. But Jacob's about to enter a period of great difficulty in his life through these really tough events. But it's through those things that God makes 
his promise real to Jacob and changes Jacob. Isn't that interesting? And guys, the same is true for you and I. Because we serve a God who is loving and gracious and reveals and steps into the midst of us. As he steps into the midst of us, he saves us out of our sin, out of our own deception, out of our own twisted wickedness. And he uses the difficulties of life to really deeply change us over a period of time. And as Jacob would go to Laban and as he would come back, he's not the same man anymore. And so even for you you and I today, as God reveals himself to us, as we experience God, it isn't just to make our, our, our lives happy and whole. There is a part of that. God blesses. God is gracious to us. God will provide our needs. You know, God gives us a family, a church family to be in. But there's also the difficulties through which he makes us more into the image of his son. And it's as we become more and more like his son, we are we know the fellowship of the sufferings, as the Philippians would say. We know the fellowship that it is to be like Christ. We know the fellowship of having to cling to the Lord in our weakness and experience Him. So the question today, is this yet still a dream for you? Is this a pipe dream to know a God who is willing to step into the midst of of your life? Does it seem like a far-fetched dream to know one who knows the deep struggles and yet is willing to forgive and, and wants to come and to walk with you in the midst of life, the hardships, and who wants to change you, who has promises for you that as you trust in his son and, and, and stop striving your way to God, that you can experience him yourself. Maybe that's still a dream. Maybe, if that is, you know, today is the day of salvation as we just um, worship over this last song, if you've never asked the Lord to forgive you, I pray that today you do that in your heart of hearts, and then you come up and you talk to, come talk to me or, or one of the one of the folks on the stage, or maybe maybe even you, and, and you're walking with the Lord, and it just seems like it's a cold time, a, a difficult time of your life. I pray that even this morning that you would know that the Lord hasn't forsaken you, that the Lord still is with you that the Lord will reveal himself to you. And it's not the strength of our devotion that guarantees God's presence with us, but it's the strength of God's character, his unchanging nature. And it's out of his love and grace that he steps into our lives to show himself strong. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray, Lord, that you would do that work. Lord, we thank you that you came to seek and to save, Lord, that which was lost. And Lord, that's all of us. Lord, so we thank you for the work that you've already done, Lord, in saving, Lord, um, those who have trusted in Christ. And, and Lord, we pray that this morning, that if there's no one here, Lord, someone here that hasn't done that, Lord, that they would let that be a reality, Lord, this morning. Lord, and, and would you keep our hearts, Lord, from wanting to build the stairs again, Lord, from coming in the strength of um, our, our hammer and bricks and making a lot of noise and dust, Lord, trying to reach our, our way up to you. Lord, but we want to just settle our hearts, Lord. And over this last song, Lord, as we worship, um, Lord, just like you promised in your word that it's through your spirit that, Lord, you shed um, your love abroad in our hearts, Lord, would that be a reality for Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, over this next few minutes, Lord, as we just worship you?
And so, Lord, we will worship you in response of, Lord, who you are and what you have done. 